the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed. Good morning to you. It's 10 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, and we are underway on AM 1420, The Answer. It's a Thursday, 15th morning, 6th month, month of groom, year of our Lord, 2023. And, uh, yeah, we're halfway through. We're halfway through the grooming month, and uh, i got to tell you, i got to tell you, uh, I'm not looking forward to the next 15 days. If the next 15 are anything like the first 15 of depravity and, uh, and, and, and uh, decadence and degeneracy and perversion and sexual fetishes being played before the entire world, if the next 15 are like the first 15, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. But we are going to power through because that's what we do. I said to the uh, crowd at uh, Strongsville GOP last night, uh, we didn't pick this fight. We did not bring this culture war to them. They brought it to us when they came for the kids. We have said, go do your weird things that you want to do in adult spaces with other adults, and we don't give a rip. Just do what you do. 
just keep it away from our kids. When they started bringing it into our libraries and into our classrooms and into our churches, and then starting to put it into our parks, and now, of course, during the month of groom in our city streets, to bring it to the kids, that's when the game was on. And as I said to the group last night, we didn't start it, but we doggone well are going to be the ones who finish it. We will win this fight because we have to win this fight. This is a this is a war for the soul of our nation, and uh, and that's not in the Joe Biden terminology. This is a war for the soul of our nation. Literally, the future of our republic depends upon it. Uh, depends on us uh, because our kids are being warped and are being having their minds completely bastardized by this radical, radical movement. So we're halfway through the month of groom, and we're going to push our way through the next half. We've got a great program lined up for you this morning. Coming up in uh, about an hour, at the top of the next hour, we've got uh, former Speaker Newt Gingrich going to be joining the program. Speaker Gingrich is going to be talking about his new book, but obviously we're going to be asking him also about the... uh, uh, extraordinary indictment of uh, of President Trump, and when I call it extraordinary, of course, it's because of the uh, illegality of it all, the unconstitutionality of it all, and quite frankly, the unfairness of it all. Yeah, you better believe we're talking about Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden as well, choosing only one former president or one individual who has been um, who has uh, classified documentation that he took with him. The only one of the group that actually had the capacity and the authority to declassify documents and take them is the only one being indicted. A former Secretary of State and Senator wasn't allowed to have them. A former Vice President and Senator wasn't allowed to have them. A former President was, and he's the only one under indictment. So, yeah, fairness actually matters. We're going to talk about that uh, with Newt Gingrich coming up at 1010. We'll also talk about his book, The March to, not the, but March to the Majority, the real story of the Republican uh, oh, 10.35, sorry. I, I, I got a little bit out of order there. Dr. Piper is at 10.10. I appreciate that, Johnny, for the reminder. Yeah, Dr. Piper, of course, in our culture wars, he's one of our generals. Uh, that'll be at 10.10. Newt Gingrich is at 10.35, so thank you for that correction. But March to the Majority, the real story of the Republican Revolution uh, is uh, Newt Gingrich's latest book. So that'll be coming up. And then at 11.10, we're going to talk to Dr. Naomi Wolf. Dr. Wolf, we've had on the program before, no friend of the American conservative. She has been a liberal feminist her entire career. But we see eye to eye on the uh, the attempted depopulation of America and maybe of the globe. And that, of course, goes back to the COVID uh, poison darts. And uh, Dr. Wolf has been just adamant about not forcing people to take experimental drugs in order to keep their jobs uh, or for any other reasons. And she has uncovered, she says, she's been working very, very hard on this. She has uncovered what she is calling Pfizer's depopulation agenda, evidenced not by her opinions but by their own documents. Dr. Wolf is the author of The Bodies of Others, The New Authoritarians, COVID-19, and the war against the human. Um, she's terrific. She is. Like I said, I would disagree with her probably on 99% of her causes uh, and her politics, but she is spot on on what is happening uh, to this country and to, to the people. So there you go. We have uh, Dr. Everett Piper, we've got Newt Gingrich, and we've got Dr. Naomi Wolf going to be a part of this program today. We're going to get started after we pledge our allegiance to the flag. Last night, I reminded everybody why we do what we do. I spoke to around 275 people, I was told. I think 
the normal attendance at a at a Strongsville GOP uh, event, you know, meeting is is somewhere between fifty and a hundred. We had about two hundred and seventy five people there last night. I was very very happy to see so many Patriots come out, and we did our pledge. We actually sang the uh, national anthem as well. I didn't see a knee on the ground, which is which is. Uh, Interesting. Uh, actually, not at all, because I expected nothing less from Patriots. But at any rate, uh, I explained to them why we do what we do and how we do it here. And I reminded everybody of um, the part about you don't have to pledge. It is your will, your free will, to pledge your allegiance to the flag that represents this great republic if you believe in it. And if you don't believe in it, you are free to take that knee uh, the way uh, the the unemployed quarterback does. And um, I reminded everybody that we saw this the day before Flag Day, which was yesterday, at the White House. Joe Biden disgraced the American flag. Joe Biden and the White House staff literally violated U.S. flag code by not flying the U.S. flag higher than all other flags, or if they are being displayed, not making the U.S. flag the centerpiece of any display of other alternate flags around it. And it's there's a reason for that, because he does not support the republic for which that flag stands. He does not support uh, the, the, the liberty and the history of this republic. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. There's no way a president of the United States doesn't know the flag code. And if he doesn't, because maybe he's just really, really old and forgot like he forgets how to speak so many times, there's no way that somebody in the White House staff doesn't doesn't realize, hey, we can't put the pride flag as the centerpiece and have the U.S. flag off to the side. That's a complete violation of the flag code. It doesn't represent who we are and what this country is. We can't do that. There has to be somebody that knew. And, of course, there were. This wasn't an accident. This was intentional. He doesn't believe in the flag. He doesn't believe in the principles that it stands for. So uh, we covered that last night in some depth, and uh, there were a lot of shock. There were there were a lot of shocked people who heard that last night. But it's the reality. We are fighting for this country by ourselves. We are fighting for this republic by ourselves. The other side is not standing with us. The other side is literally casting our flag and thus our values to the side in favor of their own personal agendas, and that's what we saw last night. So since we are fighting for it ourselves, let's stand together ourselves right now, wherever you might be. And to all of those driving who told me last night that they have flags in their cars because they're on the road between 9 and 9.30 when we do the Pledge of Allegiance every day, God bless you. Go ahead and uh, uh, drive with your left hand while you cross your heart with your right and join us for this pledge. If you are a believer in Biden's America, which is not our America, then you again go ahead and take that knee. For all of the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. It is 919. We're going to take a time out right here before I come back with the top stories of the day. You know what most of them are, but we have a lot of things to cover in this first hour where we are guest free. Everett Piper in less than an hour, Newt Gingrich at 1035, and Naomi Wolf at 1110. We're loaded up today. Stay here on Always Right Radio.
lot of ground to cover. It's 922. Let's get started with the reality that we do not live in a single system of justice uh, in Biden's America. We do not live under a single system of justice. There is a two-tiered system of justice that is in play, and that justice, if you want to call it that, is being enforced by the Department of Justice headed by Merrick Garland, who is the most corrupt activist attorney general in American history. And I know that's weird to say because we were just saying that about Eric Holder a few short years ago. But it seems like they try to one-up one another, and they do a really good job of it. Merrick Garland is overseeing a, an FBI that is more corrupt than, uh, than it was under, uh, under Eric Holder, which is just astounding. James Comey, who led the FBI then, is the individual that decided to declare Hillary Clinton guilty of a whole bunch of serious crimes regarding classified documents, and then at the end of the speech in which he listed all of her crimes said, but no reasonable prosecutor would bring charges here, so we're done. <laughs> if you thought the FBI was bad then, you haven't seen anything uh, uh, until now. Christopher Ray is now running the, uh, the department, and um, his... His DOJ, or excuse me, his FBI, I should say, under Garland's DOJ, is now more corrupt than it has ever been. They are running interference for and covering for the Biden crime family. And Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana uh, has had just about enough and lays out the facts here in this conversation on Fox. I want you to hear this. The FBI has had information from an informant as far back as 2020 that then-Vice President Biden and his son were allegedly involved in a $10 million bribery scheme between the two of them. The big question is... What has happened with the investigation since that information came to light? Well, look, I think the FBI is the premier law enforcement agency in all of human history. And I'm not going to vote to abolish them or defund them. But you don't have to be Euclid to know that over the past five years, uh, there have been people at the FBI and at the Justice Department who have acted on their political beliefs. I mean, the FBI Director Comey investigated President Trump on evidence that the Hillary Clinton campaign gave to him. Um, That should be game over right there, by the way. (laughs) That fact that Hillary Clinton's campaign manufactured the evidence that was taken to the FISA court to get a warrant to spy on Trump, and the FBI ran with it and said, let's go. It was inevitable in light of President Trump's prosecution that the issue of selective prosecution was going to be raised. What about Secretary Clinton's emails, for example? Now... Uh, Senator Grassley, who has a great deal of credibility, has received a document from a whistleblower inside the FBI uh, based on a a, a trusted informant that says President Biden uh, has been bribed and that the people that bribed him have tapes. Now, I don't know if all that is true or not, but... We're entitled to see that document. Mm-hmm. First, the FBI said, well, we can't even tell you that it exists. And then they said, you can see it, but it has to be redacted. Right. They won't tell us whether they even investigated the allegations. The, the, only, the only people who can fix this, John, are the head of the FBI and, and the attorney general. So The, American to, pe- I was the FBI and the attorney general. 
the the two corrupt agencies involved here. Quite literally, they have had since 2020, if you missed the beginning here, they have had since 2020 evidence. A whistleblower has revealed evidence of the Biden crime family taking bribes when he was vice president, and they have sat on it. They have buried it. They have done everything they can to protect the family of Joe Biden and Joe Biden himself, quite frankly. According to the uh, the, uh, FD 1023 form that has been subpoenaed and has not been turned over despite its non-classified status, non-classified, not declassified, it was never classified, it should have been turned over without delay to the Oversight Committee when they asked for it. They still haven't turned it over. They just allowed the committee members to look at it and then to try to remember what it said in order to act upon it. This is straight-up classic stonewalling in an attempt to protect the sitting president of the United States. But according to that subpoenaed form, Biden was paid $5 million by an executive from the Burisma natural gas company in Ukraine on which uh, whose board on which Hunter Biden sat. Five million for Joe, five million for Hunter, dispersed and distributed to other members of the Biden crime family. This information has been has been um, supported by, in, in terms of corroborated, I guess I should say, has been corroborated by whistleblowers and eyewitnesses confidential human sources, and they told the FBI about this in June of 2020. Now, I don't have to tell you of the ramifications of that, right? We thought that the FBI's cover for Joe Biden started just a couple of weeks before the election when Tony Bobolinsky and others came forth to verify the existence of the Hunter Biden family laptop of sins, Right? That laptop came forth a few weeks before the election, and immediately the FBI shut down any attempt to disseminate the contents to the media. They told the media, it's not real, don't even try to uh, present this evidence to the people, because it's Russian disinformation. It's Russian disinformation. 51 intelligence officers have signed on to say this is clearly Russian disinformation. They're trying to interfere with our election. Do not give this any attention. The overlords of social media dutifully followed the FBI's instructions and banished accounts of anybody that tried to share that information. You thought that was the beginning of the FBI during the Trump administration, mind you, And their cover for Joe Biden prior to that election? Nope. It started months earlier, in June of 2020, with the interview with the confidential human source telling the FBI, I've got evidence here that former Vice President Joe Biden, who is the Democratic nominee for President of the United States coming up here in about five months, that he took bribes from Ukraine. We even have audio tapes. And the FBI sat on it, did not investigate it, did not report on it, just buried it. We do not live in a free country if the Department of Justice practices selective justice. It can't be more plain than that. 
I welcome your thoughts, but I have more to present. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. It's always right radio on AM 1420. The answer. Uh, 938, uh, good morning. Appreciate you being with us. Did I mention that the FBI is corrupt and is sitting on and stonewalling any, any potential investigations into the Biden crime family? Well, I believe because they're covering up. Look, the, the FBI at that hearing yesterday, that deputy director, I asked him directly, did they have, did, did the 1023 allege that Biden had received a, a, a personal bribe of $5 million? He refused to answer. I asked him, will, he, will the FBI give the 1023 to the Senate Judiciary Committee? He refused to answer. I asked him, is it accurate that there are 17 voice recordings of this Burisma official, 15 talking to Hunter Biden, two talking to Joe Biden? He refused to answer. I asked him, does the FBI have those 17 voice recordings? He refused to answer. I asked him, will the FBI give to the Senate Judiciary Committee those 17 voice recordings so we can assess for ourselves? He refused to answer. They are utterly and completely stonewalling. And what's important to know, there's no legal impediment to his answering my question. There's no legal barrier. He's simply sitting there with that smug smirk on his face because the FBI senior leadership believes they're unaccountable. They're not accountable to Congress. They're not accountable to the American people. And these allegations, if true, Joe Biden should be impeached. He should be removed from office. He should be prosecuted. And he should go to prison. So that was Ted Cruz on Hannity last night, and I actually have the Ted Cruz six-minute grilling of the deputy director uh, that he was just referencing there that I'm going to try to play some of here in just a bit. I do want to take calls first, but it's extraordinarily important that you know that. Our federal government is supposed to be protect. Let me rephrase. The Department of Justice within the federal government is supposed to be protective of the United States of America, which means you and me. It is supposed to be protective of the citizenry. That's its job. The FBI is a law enforcement agency. The DOJ is supposed to enforce and ensure justice for all Americans. That starts with our ability to believe in our leadership, that they are just, that they are not corrupt, that they are not criminals, And if the DOJ is refusing to actually investigate and or report information they have about corruption of our leadership at the top of government, whether they be executive, legislative, or judicial, if they are refusing to act on information they have about corruption or injustice, then we do not have a country that believes in justice. The Department of Justice is a a title a figurehead. It just might as well be extension of Biden administration. Extension going back to when Joe Biden was committing these crimes as vice president of the United States, an extension of the Obama administration. Again, Eric Holder made it clear that he was Barack Obama's wingman. There was no DOJ then either. And now Merrick Garland is clearly Joe Biden's wingman. And he will not ask Christopher Ray, the director of the FBI, he will not ask him to turn on the sitting president. They buried it in 2020, and they're trying to bury it in 2023, and that's why we're going to do everything we can to expose it. You notice what I haven't talked about very much this morning? Same thing as yesterday. The Trump indictment. Because that's playing into their hands. They want you to focus everything on Donald Trump, 
committed a terrible crime and is a 37-time felon for holding on to these documents. That is the top of the news cycle for everybody so that they can make sure that the Biden crime family goes under the radar. I won't let that happen to the extent that I can affect it. I am going to make sure this is top of the line, top story, uh, top of the newscast, top of the, uh, you know, above the fold on the newspaper. This is what we should be focusing on. Crimes committed, documented, or at least worthy of investigation by the sitting president of the United States. I'm not going to play their game. I'm not going to let them bury this under the phony Trump indictment. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. We're going to go to Tom, who's calling us from Tampa, Florida, here on AM 1420, The Answer. Tom, fire away, sir. Good morning. Uh, Good morning. <clears throat> this is just a tip of the iceberg. And I, I know you have a few seconds, but just think of what happened in Cleveland with um, the, the county commissioner when he went to jail. All the crimes that Who, Jimmy corruption in Cleveland all that time. Yeah, Jimmy DeMora. Yeah. All the, I don't want to say names, but all the corruption in Cleveland, he took a lot of it. Some people took below it. But you got to realize there was probably 100 people in, in that county, in Carver County, that probably done this. You know, were governments, mayors, uh, judges, everybody that took the, you know, the, this stuff. You know, the, the same thing. And I think what's happened here in, in, with Joe Biden is the same thing. He's the tip of the ice books, and, and there's so many people below it are fighting this. Um, and, you know, you got to look at this thing. Every time one of these corrupt people gets something, they get a book deal. Then their books never sell, but they get a book deal. I mean, what kind of company can come up and give you a 4 or $5 million or $8 million contract and you don't sell that many books? You know, they have to make their money back. It's all, it's all payoffs through the back doors. That's just my opinion. All right, Tom, I appreciate it. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, as in almost every corruption scandal and every uh, crime that we can be, uh, we, we can even be moderately aware of, you, you follow the money. You know, that's the phrase, right? And it's true. And you're right. There are probably a lot of people below Joe Biden who took payoffs, uh, you know, in order to make these kinds of things happen. Uh, and almost all of them, probably, with the exception of a few whistleblowers that are willing to put themselves at risk, and of course that's why they remain uh, unnamed, because they are going to be at risk, uh, the rest of them are fearful. They're not going to ever, ever crack. They're not going to turn on anybody above them, because they don't want to get suicided. And I'm not accusing anybody of planning anything like that, but the reality is, there is it's kind of mafioso-like. It is kind of La Cosa nostra you know, you better re- recognize that you don't roll over and rat on somebody above you that's part of the scheme. You're going to be done in two seconds flat. So do I think Joe Biden, just personally, without the assistance of lots of people beneath him, following your example of Jimmy DeMora, uh, uh, did he negotiated this bribery situation with the Ukrainian uh, official himself? Of course not. There are a lot of people that are part of the uh, the go-between. We don't know who they are yet, but hopefully we will if and when we get an actual Department of Justice that's interested in investigating something that is not just targeted at Orange Man Bad. It's the only thing they're interested in in uh, investigating. John is in Chardon next. Hi, John. You're already in 1420. The answer. Fire away. Hey, morning, Bob. It seems to me the FBI's allegiance is a factor of the administration that is in power and serves as the president's behest. So the best way to get the FBI on our side is to win the election next year. 
And if I'm wrong, then, of course, the president should fire him and get get new people. But I, I'm thinking it'll probably work out, you know, as long as we get elected. Well, it depends, John, you know, because this is one of the more frustrating things that I have to say about Donald Trump. He has been a horrible judge of character in many of his top appointments. He appointed Christopher Wray. Chris Wray isn't an Obama appointee for FBI director the way Comey was. Chris Wray was Donald Trump's replacement for Jim Comey. So President Trump's ability to sniff out uh, you know, corrupt individuals to try to right the ship at the FBI is, quite frankly, not very good. And people will say, oh, he listened to the wrong people. Okay, well, who were the people advising him? He had to have picked them. You know, when you, uh, when you are the leader of the party and you win and you lead the administration, you've got to surround yourself with the right people to help you pick the right people for very important appointments. And whatever, for whatever reason, one or another, President Trump has missed on a lot of very important picks who turned out to be terrible, uh, you know, for, for the America first cause and for, uh, quite frankly, for, you know, the, the constitutional republic. So, uh, if we win next well, time, John, I hope we're better at picking somebody at the top of the DOJ and at the top of the FBI than we have been in the past because, like I said, President Trump whiffed a couple of times. Well, you know, I know you say, you know, DeSantis, I know he's behind on the polls, mm-hmm. but, um, I think, we don't have these problems to deal with uh, if we can get DeSantis elected. Well, there are a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of people, or there are a lot of people, like you said, the polls notwithstanding, there are a lot of people who feel the same way, who like President Trump and like the results that we got from President Trump, but don't like all of these sideshow distractions, indictments and impeachments and all these other things. They would like to plow forward without all of this stuff and having to fight these fights when we're just trying to get the country back on track. They would like somebody like DeSantis or Tim Scott or somebody else to rise up here. For me, uh, I don't like them either. I don't like these distractions. I don't like the targeting of a president. But we have to recognize, uh, John, that if President Trump is the front runner and if President Trump becomes the nominee, which is extremely likely that he will, we have to defend him whether we want to or not because he is representative of the rest of us at that point. If yeah. I talked, I talked about this last night in Strongsville to the group. If, if, if they can do this to him, and they started this not just now, but obviously they started looking for crimes to, uh, to, to, you know, to accuse him of back in 2015 when he first announced. If they can yeah. do this to him, they can do this to DeSantis. They can do it to Scott. They can do it to, you know, Jim Jordan. They can do it to anybody. So if we don't unite and stand up for President Trump, even if he's not our first preferred candidate, but stand up for him against these, these, uh, malicious, uh, and and unconstitutional persecutions to try to stop a political candidate, John, then then we won't be able to stand up for anybody. And eventually they'll start to take pick them off one by one with the same type of scandalous prosecutions. And that's why whether we like the you know the mess uh, that comes with President Trump or not, we have to fight for it. We have to fight for him. Well, I don't think they have the ammunition with everybody else that they do with Trump. So. Well, remember though, remember though, John. Um, and I and I get your point, and I respect it. But they didn't have ammunition on Trump either when he first came into in, into the uh, the political arena. He came down that stairway or that escalator in 2015, and they instantly started looking for something, and they couldn't find anything. So when they didn't have that ammunition, John, what did they do? They invented it. They they made it up. 
the Hillary Clinton campaign made up a, a bogus story about the Trump campaign being colluding with, uh, you know, Vladimir Putin and that Trump is a Russian asset and took this phony crap to the to a FISA court to get a phony warrant to spy on him to try to take him down. So even when you don't have ammunition and, against a guy and you can go ahead and fabricate some and have the Department of Justice say, yeah, let's use it, let's run with it, they can do that to anybody. If they can fabricate evidence against him, they can fabricate, fabricate evidence against anyone. And that's why it's incumbent upon us to fight for him right now, even if you don't want him to be the nominee, even if he might not be your first choice. And I told everybody, I love Ron DeSantis, but I will, I will support our nominee, whomever it is. But even if you don't love you know, Trump as your first choice, you better be fighting like hell for him now because they will do this to anybody uh, if they did it to him. Yeah, amen. All right, my friend. Thank you for the call, John. God bless you, buddy. Uh, I, I hope that wasn't too too harsh or over the top. But, I mean, literally, they didn't have ammunition. Now, in this case, they have some ammunition on him. Okay? It does not warrant indictment, because if it did, then Hillary would have been indicted, because there was more ammunition against her, if you will. They have some on him now. There is a, there is a really, really important um, uh, report by the Washington Post that indicates that President Trump was advised by his attorneys when this whole this whole document scandal kind of came down um, that President Trump was told by his attorneys just turn that back over. This is something that is uh, that is not you know covered under under the Presidential Records Act. Just give this back, and he knew that legally it would be his brightest move, but because he's very very stubborn. And because he's very, very, uh, you know, a believer that he's the smartest man in every room, he said, no, it's mine. And, and his attorneys are saying, no, it's not. You can't keep this. Turn it over and this will all go away. No, it's mine. That's an unforced error. That gives them some quote unquote ammunition. It still doesn't rise to the level of prosecution unless, of course, there is a corrupt prosecutor. And in this case, the special counsel investigating is Jack Smith who is every bit as corrupt as it as that would need to be. All right, that's a lot of information. Uh, 216-901-0945, right back. So just to kind of underscore what we're talking about here when we say... Um, that there is a two-tiered system of justice. Just to underscore that, I want to I want to play just a minute and eighteen second clip here for you to remind you of what was done under the old FBI leadership of James Comey when classified documents were an issue. You remember this, right? I did not email any um classified material to anyone there is no classified material 110 emails in 52 email chains have been determined by the owning agency to contain classified information at the time they were sent or received i provided all my emails that could possibly be work related several thousand work related emails that were not among the group of 30,000 emails returned by Secretary Clinton. I thought using one device would be simpler. She also used numerous mobile devices to send and to read email. There were no security breaches. It is possible that hostile actors gained access 
to Secretary Clinton's personal email account. It was my practice to communicate with State Department and other government officials on their .gov accounts. Hostile actors gained access to the private commercial email accounts of people with whom Secretary Clinton was in regular contact from her personal account. Um, no doubt that we've done exactly what we should have done. They were extremely careless in their handling of very sensitive, highly classified information. People will be able to judge for themselves. So that little refresher, I think, should be played on every newscast. And since the news, the network news, the mainstream media news, the legacy news uh, won't do it, every conservative broadcast, every radio program, every podcast, everywhere, every website, everybody needs to be reminded. Hillary Clinton committed far worse, more egregious crimes when it comes to classified documents than Donald Trump ever could have. James Comey listed them, acknowledged them, and then, in a blatant politically partisan maneuver, declared, but I wouldn't recommend any prosecution. No prosecutor would bring forth charges in this case. Despite everything you just heard, Fast forward, and here we sit. Charges have been brought against Donald Trump, who did not carelessly upload these things to the Internet on his personal, private, unsecured server. He kept them locked under under uh, under guard of Secret Service in Mar-a-Lago, guarded 24-7. And he's facing 37 charges? That is the two-tiered system of justice that we all must focus on. We'll be back. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Always right, radio indeed. Good morning. Hour number two underway now. Nine minutes past ten o'clock on this Thursday, the 15th morning of the month of Groom in the year of our Lord, 2023. I want to say thank you once again to uh, Shannon Burns uh, and the rest of the uh, leadership at Strongsville GOP for having me out to speak last night. Certainly appreciated the hospitality of Lisa Sticken as well in charge of the Cuyahoga County Republican Party. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. What a great crowd. I, like I said, I was told there's usually around 50 to 100 people uh, who attend the meetings. We had 275 or so last night. Uh, people are rallying. People are pushing. People are fighting. And uh, that's what it takes every step of the way. So I appreciate all of their hospitality. It was a, it was a great event. If you found something of value that, that I had to say last night, share it with others, please, and bring them to the next meeting when Peter Kersenow speaks uh, next month. Peter will be the next speaker. We had a little friendly thing going on there. I was told that Pete challenged uh, me through Shannon <laughs> um, as to who would draw the bigger crowd, uh, my event last night or his next month. And I hope he wins because if more people come next month than came this month, that means the movement and the pushback is growing. So uh, by all means, let's make sure we do that. Uh, let's welcome now, as we do each and every Thursday at this time, one of our leaders, one of our generals in the culture war that we did not start but that we simply must win. He is Dr. Everett Piper. He is a former university president. He is a best-selling author. He is a twice-weekly columnist for The Washington Times in addition to uh, 
hosting his own podcast radio program called The Rebellion, and he is a uh, county commissioner in his native Oklahoma. Dr. Piper, good morning. Always good to talk to you. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Bob. Good morning to you. So we're back to normalizing sin, and we're still talking about Pride Month. You know, as long as we've got to suffer through 15 more days, we've already had 15 days of this nonsense, as long as we've got to suffer another 15, why not talk about it every single week when we're on this program, and why not write about it for uh, for your Washington Times column, and I'm sure you did. Uh, tell us uh, tell us the gist of this week's piece. Well, the one you're referring to right now, I, basically it's an open letter to the church. <clears throat> And this isn't tongue-in-cheek, I really mean it. In fact, I opened up with my first paragraph or so of this column telling those who aren't part of the Church, the secularists, those who aren't Christians, that you can listen in if you want, but I'm really not talking to you. I'm talking to those who claim to be part of the body of Christ, those who claim to be Christian, those who claim to be part of Christ's Church. And I essentially am starting out by saying, dear Church, what is wrong with you? What happened to you? When did you sell your soul, and when did you forfeit your mind? Because there is no question that this rainbow agenda, this agenda of pride, is antithetical to the good news of the gospel. And one of the Bible passages I cite in my column is 2 Corinthians 5.17, where we are told, as believers in Christ, that if you are in Christ, behold, the old is gone, the new has come. This is a clear reference to the old self dies to Christ. This is what baptism means. This is the symbolism of baptism, that when you are submersed into the water that you die, you go into the grave, and then when you rise up out of the water, you are a new creation. You rise again in Christ. You are born again. These are the words of Jesus himself. You must be born again. Jesus never said, be satisfied that you were born that way. The, the Church has taught for 2,000 years that we are corrupt, that we are broken, that original sin is endemic in all of our hearts, minds, and souls, and that there's good news. And the Gospel of Jesus Christ is that you can be born again, you can become a new creation in Christ, you can be transformed, you don't have to be transgendered. And this argument that you define yourself by your desires that your gut, your belly, your, your libido is your identity. Your inclinations are the actually end-all and be-all of who you are. This is a lie. This is a lie straight from the pit of hell, and I mean that very... I mean that... I, 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 that's not hyperbole. It's a lie from the pit of hell that somehow your desires define you, because if that's true, we're all damned, because we all desire to do things that we know are wrong. You know, as, as, a, as an academic, I've had temptations over the course of my career to cheat. I'd love, Bob, to sit next to you when we're taking the quiz or the test and look over your shoulder and copy your answers, because you did the hard work to study and prepare, and maybe I was lazy and didn't. Therefore, I'm tempted to do something wrong, and that is cheat on the test. But guess what? You don't have to cheat. I don't have to cheat. We can choose to do something differently than what our desires direct us to do. And if human beings actually have bought the lie that we're defined by our libido rather than our Lord, then Lord help us, because there's nothing left that will be off the table. Any desire will be justified, and it will be elevated to some sort of argument for legal minority status. The Church, of all places, should be arguing against this, because we've gotten good news of redemption, 
and we're not talking about it much anymore. You know, Dr. Piper, I'm reminded from your column this week about uh, the defense of the church that was it was um, uh, that was voiced by uh, Father Tim uh, in the story out here in St. Raphael that we talked about. Um, he he gave a homily in which he defended the church. All he did was defend the Catholic Church in this case, but I think all Christians uh, by extension. Uh, over the attack uh, by the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence and the whole Major League Baseball thing. And we we saw what happened uh, when a, a radical, queer, self-described queer woman uh, went up there and, and took over the microphone and literally charged the pulpit, took it over, and dressed him down and attacked him for daring to suggest uh, that the church should be defended against the attacks of the, uh, you know, the, the LGBTQ mafia movement, if you will. And I've been looking for the rest of the church to stand up for him. Now, admittedly, I'm not privy to every conversation that comes from, uh, you know, uh, the bishop or from the diocese or anywhere else, or all, maybe even all the way to the Vatican. But I will say this. If they are defending him and, and supporting him and agreeing with him against this attack on Christians and on the church, it's been very, very quiet. It's been very, very much under the radar. Why aren't they standing up? Why aren't faith leaders standing up and defending the faith and defending, you know, Christ and defending the message and, and everything? that you lay out all of the time i don't understand i do know that that perhaps you know they're 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 following you know jesus's guidance and instruction to if you know if if someone strikes you on the one cheek present them the other uh and 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 so they're 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 not fighting back because you know they're they're trying to practice restraint and humility i guess in the face of this enmity but uh but but sometimes we need our leaders to stand up and actually defend the flock well i think it's a confusion about words Words mean something. In fact, as we know, Jesus defines himself as the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. Actually, that's the Apostle John saying that about Jesus, but we can agree that Jesus inspired those passages because he's the second person of the triune God, so I'm going to attribute those words to Christ as well as his prophet and spokesperson, the Apostle John. He is the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus defines himself as an alphabet. He spells out God's Word in our life. And when we start dumbing down words, like male and female, right and left, uh, good and evil, when we start reversing definitions and we confuse things like kindness with righteousness, and I think the Church has become more enamored with affirmation rather than the preaching of what's true. And I actually, in my second book, I talk about life is not safe, but it's good. We're confused between safety and goodness. We need to recognize the righteousness, the goodness, the truth of the gospel, of the Word, and define the Word and all other words accurately if we're going to get it right in the way we engage with people. In fact, you know one of the lines in my column was uh, the left, or or even the Church's message of love is love, it's not love. That's a dumbing down of the word love to be nothing but something that's synonymous with affirmation and enablement. That's not love. If your kid is doing something that's going to harm his body or even his mind or soul, it's not loving to affirm him or enable him to continue to do that. When you love somebody, you step in their way when they're hurting themselves, and you say, stop it. That's not the right thing to do. I love you enough to get in your way and make you uncomfortable as well as myself. So this message up from the church of love is not love. It's a dumbing down, it's a bastardization of the actual meaning of what love is and making it nothing more than kindness and affirmation. Dr. Piper, one last question on churches and on the church. Before we talk about Ask Dr. E and about uh, knowing the unknowable, um, 
I sent you this link earlier this week, and I haven't followed up with you, so I apologize if you're not uh, terribly familiar with what's going on here, but I'm sure that you are. Um, the, the headline story of an extraordinary number of congregations departing the United Methodist Church, over 5,000 congregations, according to the, the Fox News story here, so far, and this is largely over the issues of sex and gender and many of the things that you're talking about right now. Um, it, it, it does this, what does this indicate to you? Rather than suggest it, I'll just ask you, what does this indicate that these congregations are leaving? Well, it, it, I, this is close to home for me because I was the president of a Wesleyan college for nearly 20 years, and the Wesleyan church is a cousin of the Methodist church because we all come out of the Methodist movement of John and Charles Wesley in the mid-1700s. So the Methodists and the Wesleyans, at least least historically, have held common theological convictions. But what's going on? Well, the conservatives within the Methodist Church, those who still believe in the authority of the Bible, that the Bible is God's inerrant authoritative word, those that believe that within the Methodist Church have been betrayed because the leadership of the Church and the elites within the Church have started dumbing down Scripture. They're taking a lower and lower view of Scripture, and they're letting culture define the Word rather than the Word define the culture. In other words, back to my previous point, they aren't defining the Word, God's Bible, God's Word revealed to us accurately. They're elevating themselves in a postmodern way so that they can deconstruct what the Bible says and then reconstruct the very evidence in the Bible, the revelation of the Bible, to look more like the God they see in the mirror than the one they read about in the Bible. That's happening in the Methodist Church, and you've got Bible-believing Methodists that are more closely aligned with the conservatives like the Wesleyans that are actually saying, we've had it, we've had it, we can't be part of a church any longer that disparages the Bible. And I, not being a Methodist or Wesleyan and being a Catholic, I concur with that message. I've had it too, and I, you know, and I am, and I'm very much tired of all of the leadership, whether it be the Catholic Church leadership from the Vatican. <clears throat> or the uh, leadership that you're talking about in the Wesleyan and Methodist churches, uh, we do. We need to return, in my humble opinion, as a non, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? I'm not an expert <clears throat> in this field. I'm certainly not a biblical scholar. Uh, but in my humble opinion, we absolutely need to do that. We need to stop allowing these uh, these these cultural, modern uh, you know movements uh, to take us away from that which is historical and that which is provable, and that is what we all believe in with the Bible. And that, by the way, will lead us into what we all know and versus what we all believe in to ask Dr. E. We'll take a time out here, then we'll come back and talk about your uh, your second column this week, which is in uh, answer to the question about knowing that which cannot be known, which of course is the very definition of faith. And we'll talk about that as we continue as well. Dr. Piper, back with us after this. 25 now. I've got five minutes left with Dr. Everett Piper for this week's commentary. Dr. Piper, um, when I read your uh, second column this week, Ask Dr. E how to argue the knowability of something that by definition can't be known, I was taken, just the first line that came into my mind was um, uh, from the movie Philadelphia, which ironically, given today's subject matter in our current culture, uh, is about a gay lawyer being discriminated against. But there was a line in which... Um, uh, Tom Hanks's character told his boss, who gave him a huge, uh, a huge case. Uh, he said, "Thank you for your faith in me." And uh, the return from uh, uh, Jason Robards was, uh, "Faith is a belief in something for which we have no evidence, and it does not apply here." 
And it always stuck with me. It's a great definition of faith, a belief in something for which we have no evidence. And that is largely what I think this person is asking you when the uh, question was, isn't the claim that we can know God basically like saying we can know what's inside of a closed cube? Isn't it impossible to argue for the knowability of something that, by definition, can't be known? Signed, Searching Friend from New York. Are we talking about faith here, Dr. Piper? Yeah, we're talking about faith, but I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge a little bit on this uh, line from Philadelphia that you just cited. Okay, um, faith is evidence of things unseen. That's the Bible's definition of faith. So there is evidence, but it's uh, evidence of things unseen. So we do see through a glass. Again, this is biblical, but we do see through it darkly because we are human. We're not God. Um, why God created it this way, we can sit around and argue that till the cows come home, but that's just reality. We do know that God exists just as much as we know water exists because we're thirsty, or food exists because we're hungry. In other words, as you know in my article, I'm saying that the desire in and of itself proves that the object of desire must be real. And the dialogue in the classic work symposium where Plato and Socrates are having this discussion, and Plato asks his mentor Socrates, is love the evidence of something? Do you love something if you feel the passion of love? And the answer is, well, of course it's the evidence of something. When you love something, there's something there to love. So the passion and the desire that we have, let's use that as a synonym for love. The passion that we have for justice what does that bear evidence of? Well, there must be a judge in order for there to be a passion for justice. Otherwise, the passion is meaningless. It has no end. And like C.S. Lewis, I, he, I always cite him on your show, because he, he's, he's one of the most brilliant Christian thinkers of the last hundred years in the minds of many, and I would be among those fans. C.S. Lewis tells us that you've got to have a measuring rod outside of those things that you're measuring, or you can do no measurement. So you can't just look at the issue and measure it yourself. You've got to have something outside of yourself to determine whether or not what you're looking at is true or false, just or unjust. And and without that measuring rod, you become a measurement unto yourself and you lose the entire standard, the blindness, if you will, of Lady Justice who lets the objective reality of the scales tip one way or another. So this argument that you can't know God well, I get it, because we are fallible. We can't know everything about God, but isn't the question in and of itself evidence that there is a God out there that we're searching after? Like Pascal said, that vacuum in every human heart can only be filled by the desire, the object, the passion of the human heart. The piece of the puzzle that fits that vacuum is God himself. So when somebody says, well, asking a question about the nobility of God is asking a question like, well, what's inside a closed cube? If the cube is closed, you can't open the box and see what's inside. My response is the very question in itself, the curiosity that we have to know what's in the box proves that there must be something, something there the as box. the object of our curiosity. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Very, very well said. And I love that you constantly reference C.S. Lewis on this program, and I love that you recommended C.S. Lewis to your reader who sent you that question, uh, reading Mere Christianity, The Great Divorce, Weight of Glory, The Abolition of Man, and then some other authors as well, because um, there are people who can explain it in, in much better terms, and they obviously have much more time to do than we can do in a five-minute question on a radio program. So I love that, and I love that you uh, you went to great pains to explain this to your, your reader, and I can see why your editors at the Washington uh, Times said, hey, Dr. Piper, we need you to write a second column each week. We need you to answer people. And uh, and I think it's a phenomenal answer here. Dr. Piper, uh, thank you so much. We appreciate you always, and we'll talk to you again next week. All right. Bless. Bye-bye. 10.30, uh, Dr. Everett Piper to Speaker Newt Gingrich. The former speaker has a new book, and I know he's got thoughts on the ongoing political persecution rather than prosecution of Donald J. Trump. Speaker Newt Gingrich joins me next. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Ten thirty-five now. Thanks so much for being with us. Our thanks again to Dr. Everett Piper. Tremendous insight as always from Dr. Piper. Now privileged to be welcoming to the program uh, one of the smartest men in the history of Washington. I say that not because he's here. I've said that on the radio before. Former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich has a new book, "March to the Majority: The Real Story of the Republican Revolution." Uh, and uh, Speaker Gingrich, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I've said this for years. I'll tell my wife when we're sitting there watching you in one of your many commentary or interview segments on television. I always feel smarter after the interview with you is over, so I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you here. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, and that that was certainly... An awfully nice build-up. Thank you very much. Well, it's well-earned, uh, and it's uh, sincere, and uh, and I certainly appreciate that. Let's talk about the book first. Then I want to talk to you a little bit about the ongoing uh, two-tiered system of justice that is plaguing this country and the fact that our uh, Department of Justice and our law enforcement institutions can no longer, in my view, be trusted. I'll get your thoughts on that. But tell us about March to the Majority and, more specifically, about uh, whether or not we need to keep marching because clearly the majority is not big enough. Can you tell us? a little bit about... Well, uh, yeah, go ahead, sir. Yeah, I, I wrote a March to the Majority really partly as a history, but mostly as a set of principles that can be applied right now. Mm-hmm. And I believe that we have every opportunity to apply those principles and to be effective, and that uh, we should take advantage of the lessons we learned over the years. Uh, and it starts with a very simple principle, which is you have to know where the American people are, what the American people want, Abraham Lincoln once said, with popular sentiment, anything is possible, and without popular sentiment, nothing is possible. And uh, we, we created a program, this new majority project, which people can see at americasnewmajorityproject.com, uh, and we've been taking polling since 2018 to uh, find how you build a Reagan-sized majority. A good example is uh, parents' rights. Uh, 84% of the country believes parents have the right to uh, know what's happening to their children. Only 11% oppose. And as somebody who worked with Reagan and studied Reagan, I can tell you, when you get an 84 to 11 issue, you ought to follow it. And the House Republicans did the right thing. They brought up a bill on parents' rights, and uh, every Democrat voted against it, even though their constituents are 84% in favor. Uh, And I think that that's the kind of strategic 
uh, development that ultimately leads to big majorities and lets you get things done. We're talking to former Speaker Newt Gingrich. His new book is March to the Majority. So since we're talking about applying the principles of the past to things that we can do today, um, I, I, I'm wondering how we build um, a Reagan-style or Reagan-sized majority, considering the fact that we cannot even seem to come together on something as simple as uh, demanding accountability in our Congress. And what I mean by that is last night we found out that 20 Republicans, 20 of them, decided against the idea of censuring Adam Schiff for a variety of crimes, what I believe to be crimes, uh, when he served, uh, you know, in uh, you know, as a chairman of a committee that led uh, this phony impeachment hoax against Donald Trump over Russian collusion, declaring every step of the way, and even after the Mueller report came out, that there was evidence in plain sight of his collusion. There was a censorship uh, on the on the table last night, and twenty Republicans voted against it, and Adam Schiff walks away smiling. Can you can you make sense? Well, of that? I, I think no, and I, I I think partly it may. I was told earlier today that there was a $16 million fine included in the censorship, and it's possible that that was a bit much. Um, I think, uh, you know, were, were I uh, there, I would go back to the 20 and say, okay, under what circumstance will you vote yes, and what was your reason for not voting yes? And my hunch is it's the $16 million fine, um, which may just have been more than the system could bear. Uh, but, but clearly Schiff uh, is a scoundrel. Schiff deliberately lied to the country, used his position as chairman of the Intelligence Committee to make the lie seem like the truth. Uh, I totally believe he should, in fact, uh, have been uh, censured uh, and potentially more than censured. Uh, but I think that, uh, you know, this is this is a hard process. You have to remember that in the House there are 435 people who are the equivalent of high school class presidents. Uh, they've all won their own election. They're all legitimately independent. And you have to, our, our model was listen, learn, help, and lead. And you just have to go back again and again until you find the formula that lets you win. On the other hand, they've had a pretty good run so far in the first five months uh, and have gotten some significant things done and brought up some very significant bills like parental rights, like uh, energy, oil and gas independence. Uh, and uh, I think that they've also, you know, they've created a China committee, which is very important to deal with the scale of the Chinese communist threat. So there are a lot of things going on that are positive, but it, but it, is, it is a frustrating, difficult business. And candidly, uh, when I was speaker, it was a frustrating, difficult business. And uh, you, you always had to go out and figure out where the last vote was. We are talking to former House Speaker Newt Gingrich, who is the author of 43 books now, the latest of which is March to the Majority, the real story of the Republican Revolution. S- Speaker Gingrich, would you have signed off, speaking of what has happened in the in the last five months, would you have signed off on the debt uh, ceiling uh, hike that uh, Kevin McCarthy essentially agreed to, or, or are the critics of Speaker McCarthy who say he got played by Joe Biden right? Well, he didn't get played by Joe Biden. Joe Biden's position was no change at all and no negotiations. And uh, Kevin McCarthy, for 104 days, kept going out talking to the press and saying, yes, we need to raise the debt ceiling to avoid a worldwide financial crisis, but we have to have spending cut and we have to negotiate. And finally, Biden caved, agreed to negotiate. Uh, they, if, this is the first step. People need to remember, and we make this point in, in March, the majority. We didn't get to welfare reform till August of 1996. We didn't get to a balanced budget till 1997. Uh, so you take one step at a time. Uh, and as a first step, I would have voted for 
the spending cuts and the policy changes, which included a step towards work requirements for welfare, stopped the IRS from hiring new agents this year, and a variety of other things. And the first domestic discretionary cut, it was a real cut, not just a, a slowing down the rate of increase, that we have seen uh, ever uh, passed on a debt ceiling bill. Now, if that had been the last step, I would have voted no. But as a first step, I'd vote yes. They're going to have some very big appropriations fights this fall, and they may end up with the government closing several times, I mean, or at least parts of the government closing. We had that happen with us. We, we had one closure for 26 days that included the Interior Department, so they closed the Washington Monument, and did the usual things to try to maximize public pressure. The, the news media thought it was a terrible mistake. The Republicans have really done the wrong thing. And I keep pointing out, while we were the first elected majority in 40 years, we were the first re-elected Republican House majority since 1928, and that came after we twice closed the government. And the reason was we proved to people we were serious. Now, we still didn't get everything we wanted, but we got a lot. And I think uh, that the House Republicans, if they work at it, can get a lot. But they're also going to have to take on about one-third of the Senate Republicans who were against spending cuts and against these kind of changes. So uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a complicated dance, but it sets the stage for a 2024 presidential campaign, which could potentially uh, really reset if we do it right. Uh, Mr. Speaker, I'd love to talk more about some of your stories in March to the Majority, but in our limited time, I want to go to the FBI here. And we want people to read, by the way, all of those stories, untold stories about Ronald Reagan, Tip O'Neill, George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, and more in March to the Majority. But um, Ted Cruz uh, was was, uh, grilling uh, the deputy director of the FBI uh, two days ago. Yesterday, John Kennedy went on Fox and reiterated, the the FBI has been stonewalling and has known about the existence of that FD-1023 form, uh, which essentially uh, implicates President Biden in a bribery scheme going back to his vice president days in the Obama administration. They said nothing. They stonewalled it. This is in June of 2020, before the November of 2020 election. It's far worse, in my view, than the uh, claim that the uh, Biden Biden laptop was Russian disinformation, which they also buried to make sure that Joe Biden would not be hurt in this presidential campaign. Um, can the FBI be trusted, and does it need to be completely no. rebuilt? No, I'm going to do a newsletter uh, probably next week at um, Gingrich360.com. I do three newsletters a week that are free mm-hmm. and three podcasts. Uh, and I'm going to call for uh, fundamentally breaking up the FBI. It's become a federal bureau of coercion. Uh, it is a, it is an arm of the left wing in America. It has been consistently protecting Democrats and consistently going after Republicans. You know, they, they, they had a memo suggesting that if you were Catholic, you could be part of a terrorist group. Yeah. Uh, they've had memos that suggest if you're a parent who goes to a school board meeting, you could be part of a terrorist group. Uh, Moms for Liberty was described as a dangerous group. Uh, this is a, this is an agency out of control. The first step that the Republicans should take is to kill the $3.5 billion proposed headquarters, which would be larger than the Pentagon. It is exactly the wrong direction for the FBI to go in. They should close down all of the elements of the FBI that are spying on Americans. Uh, it, is, it is a total uh, absurdity. Uh, the, the, the ground rule for intelligence is that you're guilty until proven innocent. The ground rule for criminal law is that you are innocent until proven guilty. And the FBI, which was a great crime-fighting institution uh, since uh, 9-11, has become 
a very, very dangerous arm of the government and should be profoundly overhauled. I completely concur, sir, and I hope that we are successful enough in the 2024 election, executively and legislatively, to make that happen. March to the Majority is the new book by former Speaker Newt Gingrich. Mr. Speaker, it's been an honor. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you, sir. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. God bless. All right, that's uh, Speaker Gingrich. We're in limited time with the Speaker, so uh, we couldn't get into much more depth than we did. I agree with him, and I'm glad to hear that he's going to do not only a newsletter, but a podcast as part of Gingrich 360 calling for uh, a halt to the funding for the new FBI headquarters. It does need to be revamped. And I think, from where I sit on the outside, it's going to take much, much more than just a new director. It's going to take much more than just removing Chris Ray, because removing James Comey didn't do it. Removing Chris Ray solo won't do it. It's going to take a lot more to uh, bring justice back to the Justice Department as it pertains to the top law enforcement agency in the federal government, the FBI. It is exactly what the speaker just said. It is an arm of the leftist movement in this country. We'll be back. Okay, 1051. Thanks for being with us. Uh, Great conversation with Speaker Gingrich. If you've got thoughts on that, if you want to ask questions about that, by all means, dial me up at 216-901-0945. Also, do not forget, coming up after the top of the hour, we're going to talk about the intended depopulation of America, if not the globe, uh, that is being put forth by Pfizer. Dr. Naomi Wolf is, is... incredible with the research that she has done she's not offering her opinions here she has gathered official documentation from the pharmaceutical giant pfizer indicating their intent to use global pandemics like the coronavirus like covid19 as a means of depopulating the planet it's um it's a remarkable story it's incredible research like i said i wouldn't even have her on if it was just this is what i think is happening she's bringing the receipts as the uh as the saying goes and we're going to listen to that uh we're going to have that conversation i should say and hear what she has to say coming up after the top of the hour for now i want to go back and uh, deliver on a promise i told you and especially since we just talked to uh newt gingrich about this about the fbi and about its corruption and his description of the FBI as being an arm of, uh, you know, of left-wing Democrats now. It is not uh, uh, a legitimate law enforcement agency or investigative agency anymore. Um, I mentioned earlier that Ted Cruz grilled the deputy director of the FBI about stonewalling and playing, you know, uh, the role of protector of the Biden administration and the Biden crime family. It's it's extraordinary. It's important. It's hard to hear, quite frankly, because to know that our uh, that our Federal Bureau of Investigation is so wantonly and brazenly corrupt, it's not something you enjoy hearing, but I'm glad that Ted Cruz, Senator Cruz, brought it out in the open during this Senate committee hearing on uh, Tuesday. Listen. I mean, every day when I'm home in Texas, I hear from Texans who are deeply dismayed about the growing politicization and weaponization of the Department of Justice and the FBI. If you are not, every one of you should be deeply concerned about the damage being done to the integrity of the institutions in which you operate. My office hears regularly from FBI agents and from assistant U.S. attorneys who are likewise concerned 
about the politicization and weaponization of the Department of Justice and the FBI, and this is profoundly damaging to the rule of law in our nation. Last month, a whistleblower brought to light the existence in the FBI of a report in FD 1023 in which the informant alleges that President Biden and his family members engaged in a $5 million bribery scheme during his time as vice president. Deputy Director Abadi, is it true that the FBI has a report making those allegations? Uh, I'm not going to comment on that, Senator. And why is that? I'm just not going to comment on uh, information we received, investigations. Do you owe an matters. obligation to the American people to be candid about evidence of corruption by the President of the United States? This is uh, an area that I'm not going to get into with you, Senator. Well, I understand you don't want to, and that's why people are mad at the FBI, because you're stonewalling and covering up serious allegations of evidence of corruption from the president. Yesterday, Senator Chuck Grassley stood on the Senate floor and alleged that there are 17 recordings of this informant from Burisma, Ukrainian natural gas company, 15 of them are recordings, voice recordings of him talking to Hunter Biden. Two of them are voice recordings of him talking to Joe Biden. Deputy Director Abate, does the FBI have 17 voice recordings laying out evidence of a bribery scheme? Senator, I'd add all, I would add also that uh, we've worked with the House Oversight Committee. Yeah, this is the Senate. We're the other side of the Capitol. This is the Senate. Do you have those 17 recordings? I'm not going to comment on any investigative matters, Senator. See, that's the problem. The FBI, and I've had this conversation with Chris Ray too, this is why you are damaging the institution. The American people have a right to know whether there is serious, credible evidence that the President of the United States took a $5 million bribe. And by the way, if it's false, Chairman Durbin just rolled his eyes. If Chairman Durbin were interested in the rule of law, we would have a hearing on these allegations. But, of course, the Democrats don't want a hearing on the, these allegations. And to be clear, if the allegations are false, you know who could disprove them? Joe Biden. He could call for this to be released publicly. But the FBI is stonewalling. Would two, you agree? Two things, Senator. No sure. one's stonewalling. The 1023 you just said you refused was provided to answer the in response to a subpoena. Okay, the then why do you refuse to committee. answer my the, question? The pertinent information is there, and I reject your assertion that the why FBI is Why did you refuse to answer my question? I just answered your question. Okay, so yes, you have a 1023. Do you have the 17 recordings, yes or no? I'm not going to get further into that. So you're stonewalling. You can't say I'm not refusing to answer your question, but I won't answer your question. I'm going to answer within the parameters that we operate in. That's the problem. The FBI has right now an unlimited hubris that you believe you are unaccountable. You don't believe you're accountable to the United States Congress, and you don't believe you're accountable to the American people. And you are doing damage. The FBI is a great institution. When I go home to Texas, people ask me, should we abolish the FBI? Now, I tell them no, because you have heroes and patriots working for you that are catching child predators, that are catching terrorists. But you're sitting there happily erecting a wall to protect Joe Biden. Will you provide to this committee, not the House, 
the Senate Judiciary Committee, will you provide the FD-1023 and will you provide the 17 recordings so we can assess what is the evidence, the specific credible evidence that Joe Biden personally took a $5 million bribe from a foreign national? Senator, we will work with this committee, you and other members, to provide uh, the information within the parameters of the process. Will you provide the FD-1023, yes or no? I will take that back, and we will work with our team. So you're not answering that. Will you provide the 17 recordings? We will take that back, and we'll work with you. So you're not answering that either. Did you investigate in any way, shape, or form these allegations? Senator, once again, I'm not going to comment. So you're not going to say whether you did your job? We do our job to the very best of our ability. Well, not here. You're not answering a single question to the American people. And you may think this is esoteric. I promise you, millions of Americans are concerned. You know who isn't concerned? Not a single Senate Democrat. We're going to go through this whole hearing. Not one Democrat will ask a question about this. You know who else isn't concerned? The corporate media who is joining with the Democrats in covering up this evidence. If Joe Biden is innocent... The evidence should be made public and demonstrate that he's innocent. But if he is not, is it true this informant who alleged that he personally took a bribe was an informant the FBI had relied upon previously in other investigations? Yes or no? In each and every uh, investigation that we have, all the work that we do, the expectation is that every logical avenue avenue investigation be pursued. I asked you a yes or no question. Are you going to answer it? I'm, I'm answering your question. Was the informant one you had relied on previously in other investigations? Yes or no? Senator, we run down every piece of information. Every you're not answering it then. You're refusing to answer it. So you're refusing to answer the question. To the fullest extent possible. You're refusing to answer the question. Senator, that's correct. In all instances. Senator, your time is period. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz. On AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three is underway now at eight minutes past 11 o'clock. That was some explosive stuff from Ted Cruz with the deputy director of the FBI. We'll take your thoughts and calls on that in just a bit. But I want to pivot now as we start hour number three on this Thursday, the 15th morning of the sixth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. There, if... if um, Somebody pitched me an interview with somebody who claims that a pharmaceutical company is trying to depopulate the world. I would probably say thanks, but no thanks. That That's a pretty radical position to take. But if somebody said she's got receipts, she's got documents, 
that proved this from the pharmaceutical company, I would say, okay, I'm going to listen. And that's exactly what we're going to do right now. We're going to listen. Dr. Naomi Wolf is one of the world's most influential feminists. She tries to solve problems, not just uh, identify them. She is the co-founder and CEO of DailyClout.io, which is a successful civic tech company. And she's the author of a new book uh, that alleges exactly what I just said. It's called uh, The Bodies of Others, The New Authoritarians, COVID-19, and The War Against the Human. Dr. Naomi Wolf joins us now to tell us all about this on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, Dr. Wolf. It's good to talk to you for a second time. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You know, I throw the word depopulation around and people roll eyes and say nobody's trying to kill off the human population. And that's what, uh, you know, this Pfizer depopulation agenda that you're talking about is alleging here. So as I said, if somebody just called up with a strange, weird conspiracy theory, I wouldn't pay a whole lot of attention to it. But, Dr. Wolf, you've got documentation from one of the largest uh, pharmaceutical companies in the world, the one that profited the most from the uh, poison jabs, which is what I call them. I call them poison darts that were forced upon this uh, this country and the world. Uh, Pfizer, you say there are document there's documentation that shows this. Tell us what we're talking about here. Sure, um, and I agree with you. I'm a journalist. I'm a classically trained journalist. I'm a nonfiction writer, and uh, you know, I would also be very skeptical if someone used that language. You know, I've tried to avoid using it um, for over a year and a half, but I. You know, as I've reviewed these documents released under court order by attorney Aaron Seary, who successfully sued the FDA to release the internal Pfizer documents. And, of course, the FDA asked the court to keep these documents hidden for 75 years, and the court refused. As a result, we have these tens of thousands of documents that um, were expected never to see the light of day. And uh, it is not my own opinion about what's in these documents showing that the population goal. It's um, based on the work of 3,500 medical and scientific experts that our site, Daily Cloud, and Steve Bannon's site, The War Room, sent out a call for um, these volunteers who are doctors and RNs, biostatisticians, medical fraud investigators, research scientists, biological scientists. They've um, been organized into six working groups by our COO, Amy Kelly, and they've produced these seven or, uh, reports that anyone can read and don't take my word for it. They're on the upper right-hand corner of our site, and you can order the book on Amazon, Pfizer Documents Reports, and you can see the citations right there. So those are the receipts. Those are the primary source documents. What these documents show is that Pfizer, um, Pfizer's internal uh, documentation of their trials and also the rollout of the, of the vaccine or the mRNA injection from November of 2020 through to uh, February of 2021, which is the period of time that the documents cover, um, there is a 360-degree focus on ruining human ability to reproduce. Um, everything from uh, Pfizer knowing that the lipid nanoparticles, um, which are part of the vaccine, as well as this the, uh, polyethylene glycol, which uh, covers the lipid nanoparticles, which is a petroleum product, they knew that this would um, go everywhere in the body, uh, even though the spokespeople said it stayed in the deltoid. That was a lie. And they knew that it would um, pack itself into the ovaries of women, causing menstrual and hormonal harms and fertility harms. And that the first injection packs some, second injection packs more, first boost more into the ovaries. And um, 
our experts have found no mechanism whereby these materials leave the ovaries. So that's what's happening. And in fact, I got deplatformed in June of 2021 for warning on Twitter that women were having menstrual dysregulation Mm -hmm. subsequent to the uh, injection. And it turns out that the CDC and the White House and Facebook and Twitter were colluding, and this is um, released by uh, suits by attorneys general in Missouri and Louisiana, um, in order to deplatform me and to silence other people with warnings about the effects. Um, Pfizer knew that the lipid nanoparticles would traverse the placenta. And even though the spokespeople, including the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology and Rochelle Walensky, who just lied about this again the day before yesterday in Congress, um, they assured pregnant women that it did not traverse the placenta. Not only does it traverse the placenta, but Pfizer knew that uh, there's a section where over 80% of the pregnant women there following the trial um, suffer spontaneous abortions or miscarriages. And Pfizer knew that the, you know, what we're seeing now, and for independent um, fetal maternal medicine specialists and midwives and pathologists have confirmed this, we're seeing now compromised placenta in vaccinated moms where there's a network of calcification from the lipid nanoparticles that keep the placenta from delivering nutrients and oxygen to the fetus, and in some cases, that keep the placenta from growing normally. So babies are being delivered prematurely. At another place in the Pfizer documents, and this is in our report 69, Mm -hmm. they uh, found, Pfizer concluded, that two of the fetuses that died uh, subsequent to the moms being injected died due to, quote, transplacental exposure, end quote. So they knew that they were killing fetuses, and they gave that report to Dr. Walensky and the FDA on April 20th of 2021, and Dr. Walensky had that report in her possession on April 23rd, 2021, when she held a White House press conference to tell pregnant women in America that she recommended that they get vaccinated. She knew they would be killing babies. And not only that, fast forward, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm an English major, but I took eighth grade biology. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that if there are menstrual disorders in 2021, there are going to be fertility problems in 2023. And around the world right now, we're seeing, according to government databases, exactly what Pfizer knew we'd see, which is 13 to 20% reduction in live births. There are a million missing babies in Western Europe. Um, and it, it, this is in vaccinated country after vaccinated country. Um, let me go back to what Pfizer knew. Let me, let me, let me uh, jump in for yeah. a second, if I may, because that's a lot of information you just poured out, and I was trying to sure. absorb as much of it as I could. We're talking with Dr. Naomi Wolf. She is the author of The Bodies of Others, The New Authoritarians, COVID-19, and The War Against the Human. Her website, um, dailyclout.io, I'm looking at it right now, in the upper right-hand corner, as she promised, or near the upper right-hand corner, you can see a link to uh, the Pfizer Documents Analysis Reports. It's available in paperback. You can order it up and read the receipts for yourself, which is extraordinarily important considering what she's alleging through this. So, Dr. Wolf, the, the, the first and most obvious question that I have for this is, why would a pharmaceutical company 
which makes billions and billions of dollars providing medications or vaccinations or whatever they can to uh, to sick people, why would they want a nation or a world uh, of declining population? Rather than keeping people alive and selling them medicine, why would they want to just go ahead and have a massive depopulation movement to, as you say, affect women's fertility and thus their ability to, to give birth, to have live birth? I get the numbers. I see it before my eyes. But what would the motivation be for a for a profitable company like Pfizer to essentially mm-hmm. kill off its customer base? It kills its customer base. That's a great question, um, and sadly, I have the answer. So, unfortunately, I've concluded that this injection is a is a bioweapon, and um, I'll tell you exactly why I say that. The deaths and sterilizations and adverse events are not randomly distributed in the Pfizer documents. They are overwhelmingly concentrated in North America with 36,000 of the 42,000 adverse events. The next largest group of people injured um, and killed, there are 1,225 deaths in just three months, is uh, Western Europe in order of political importance. Um, So Britain, France, Germany, uh, and then Spain, Italy, Greece, and all the rest of the world, all the other 52 countries combined where this injection was rolled out amount to only 7,000 adverse events. So it's grossly overrepresenting damage in North America and Western Europe. So why is that important? Because my original reporting found that, and this, you can see this on my substack um, about uh, the, it, it shows um, an image of, of a, an experiment by Chinese scientists in Hong Kong that show how lethal the second injection is. Uh, it's called Facing the Beast. So these are not, um, this company, Pfizer is not a German company. It's a German-Chinese company. And BioNTech, which is the subsidiary of Pfizer that makes these injections, formed an MOU with China to distribute and manufacture a billion doses of these injections. Not for the Chinese. They don't take these vaccines. All for Western Europe and North America. The CCP opened 14 manufacturing plants in Western Europe, and now two in the United States, one in Massachusetts and one in New Jersey. So now when you get a Pfizer injection, or as of 2021, when you get a Pfizer injection, it's manufactured and distributed by our existential adversaries, the Chinese Communist Party. Um, And in fact, an SEC filing shows for 2021, our SEC shows that the IP was 100% transferred to China. For this injection in 2021, uh, and I, I run a tech company. That's that means that everything that goes into the injection, the formula, the manufacturing, the data harvested, it's all owned by China now. It doesn't say a Chinese company, a Chinese individual, and the SEC filing is public. I linked to it. You can look at it there. It says to China. So why is this relevant? Um, and I'll refer people to my husband Brian O'Shea, who's uh, been widely interviewed recently. Been his whole career in military intelligence and other intelligence. And he warned me that, you know, we're under attack. Um, but he you know, explains it more abundantly. But basically, the Chinese Communist Party wages war not kinetically, not through bombs and through, you know, invasions, but first through encircling the enemy. And look at what's happening. You know, our southern border is open. Our ports have been bought up by Chinese interests. Our water sources in the Midwest are being bought up. Um, our land is being bought up. Uh, and now this injection, and you know, 
the news came out that millions of dollars went to the Biden family from the Chinese Communist Party. Our, our White House was bought up, and I'm embarrassed to say I voted for them. Um, so all of our systematically, you know, our grid is being bought up. The solar and green energy is being manufactured by China. They can flip the switch. And again, I'm a supporter of green energy, but I didn't know that. Um, so basically, all around us, our culture is being bought up, right? Um, the, our, our university. So all this money is flowing from China to tenderize the enemy, is the way military strategists put it. So look now look at who got mandated with this sterilizing, damaging, deadly injection. And I haven't even talked about the neurological events, the blood clotting events, the strokes, the hemorrhages at industrial scale. It mandated our, our soldiers, our sailors, our, our special forces, um, our healthcare workers, our doctors, our college students, the next generation, all the people you need in order to lead a country if a country's under attack. So those people are sick or unable to reproduce or dying at, you know, disproportionate numbers. I mean, the data are now coming in that vaccinated are hospitalized and, and sick more than unvaccinated. And Pfizer knew that that would happen too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my conclusion about why, uh, why Pfizer, you know, yeah. just because a, a drug company makes drugs doesn't mean it can't be co-opted by geopolitical forces yeah, and, and I'm, glad you, I'm glad you brought up the geopolitical forces i actually just want to talk about our own political forces here in, in the united states the production of this uh, these uh, spike protein laden vaccines these uh, non-vaccine vaccines the mrna shots um it traversed two administrations it was uh, fast-tracked obviously in operation warp speed by president trump and it was mandated uh, for all uh, federal employees and, uh, and, uh, and, and contracted employees who work with companies that have federal contracts uh, by the Biden administration. So my question is, from a political standpoint, did either administration or did both administrations know of the Pfizer goal and were they complicit in it? Or did they have no idea that this was happening at that level? Well, that's a great question. I mean, I fully believe that President Trump didn't know. And part of why I believe that is that the same forces that are behind all of this, and I didn't vote for him, I, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not partisan, um, but the same forces that are behind all of this are the ones who have been trying so hard to get rid of him and to, you know, smear him and to undermine him. Um, but, you know, I don't know for sure, but it, it looks to me, and I am friends with one of his advisors at that time, Dr. Alexander, it, it's my understanding that he was kept in the dark. Um, and that a lot of people were kept in the dark. However, the people who were not kept in the dark were the NIH, Dr. Fauci, uh, the head of the CDC, you know, head of HHS. They knew, um, and certainly the White House knew. So, I mean, the subsequent White House knew. So the Biden White House for sure knew. So I think these are questions that have to be asked. I think personally, if I were advising President Trump, I would say, like, get out in front of this and you know, say that you didn't know if you didn't know, uh, say it was a bad idea, if it was a bad idea, but it's my understanding that um, he was being, you know, lied to by his advisors. And the other thing that's my understanding is, you know, again, looking at what he said, he left the response up to individuals and up to states. So this could have been the most toxic injection in the world, but as long as people have the right to refuse it, you know, someone doesn't have blood on their hands. Whereas with President Biden, for whom I did vote, I'm sorry to say, 
you know, he mandated this. He put a thousand, I mean, I'm sorry, he put the whole uh, body of federal workers and military under compulsion to receive this injection. Um, and also, look, let's look at the timing. <clears throat> By November of 2020, these documents show that the vaccine didn't work. And the, the records really begin in November of 2022 February of 2021, as I mentioned. So by then, so, you know, so, Dr. Let, let, let me jump in, in and I apologize. Sure. Yeah, I apologize for the intrusion, but we, you know, we, had, we have a clock to watch and I uh, want to get this in because um, what you just said is very important that you don't believe Donald Trump knew, President Trump knew, and I agree with that. Um, but is what you are reporting now um, being accepted, being understood, being comprehended by the former Trump administration, by the current Biden administration, because President Trump continues to tout the shots, specifically yeah. saying that I never mandated them, but he is very, very proud of the fact that he said, uh, you know, that Operation Warp Speed happened when it did, and he's claiming that he saved 100 million lives. So he's still very, right. very satisfied with that. So again, is this just... Ignorance of the the dangers and the evidence and the documentation from Pfizer that you're talking about right now, or they, do they just not believe it? Look, I you know I'm not privy. I'm nonpartisan, right? I don't talk to the to the Trump team. I don't talk to the RFK Jr. team. Um, I have to be nonpartisan. I, I a well, lot. Of just to be clear, like I'm not this, asking this for a yeah. partisan view. No, no, uh, I personally, I support President Trump. Yeah. I voted for President Trump twice. I right. did not vote for Joe Biden. But my question is: is going forward, the information you have is, dare I say, bombshell. And I want right. our leadership, current and future, and we're in the middle of a presidential election cycle now, right. to be aware of this. So I'm wondering how what the response has been to what you're reporting now from those, right. like I said, who are in charge. Totally understood. So. To my knowledge, a lot of people are trying to advise President Trump to face, you know, this material and um, process it and respond, you know, constructively to mm -hmm. it. Uh, I think, you know, having advised a president and a vice president, I think people in that role can be have um, stubborn <laughs> characters. And I also think psychologically it's very hard to face it if you were part of what is turning out to be a mass murder event, uh, he, the best of us would have a hard time facing that. Um, so I hope he does, you know, for the sake of the American people, like process this and adjust his messaging accordingly. Um, but in terms of the Biden administration, I can tell you categorically. Uh, and also, you know, I watched the congressional questioning of Dr. Walensky two days ago. The, the Republicans in Congress aren't asking the right questions. You know, they need to have our book in front of them, and they need to be asking better questions of Dr. Walensky and, and holding investigations of the head of HHS, of Dr. Fauci, of, you know, investigations of the president who told people lies all the way down about this injection. I mean, Dr. Walensky perjured herself twice two days ago. Um, and only Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, challenged her appropriately based on the evidence. So everyone is dropping the ball. And in terms of the Bidens, mm -hmm. um, I think they've committed treason. Uh, I think that they were used to injure the American people through this injection. And whether they knew it or not, they, you know, they they rolled out when 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 the president of the United States says, we're losing patience with you, you know, you're going to see a, a winter of uh, severe disease and death. And he had in his possession documents from Pfizer, uh, Pfizer papers showing that as of November of 2020, Pfizer needed vaccines didn't work to stop COVID. And in fact, the third most common side effect 
of getting injected in the Pfizer documents is COVID. And you heard that right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Lied to the American people and, and, and endangered and, them. And, and, and Dr. Wolf, to, to bring this yeah. current, to bring this current, just days ago, the White House announced uh, a policy that anybody showing up to the White House as visitors from the uh, championship sports teams that come must, mm-hmm. if you're unvaccinated, the unvaccinated must mask up. Now, three years later, after having three the pandemic later. restricted or uh, lifted, I should say, they're saying mask up and socially distance if you're unvaccinated. So even to this moment, they are trying to push these vaccinations on people. So I concur. It, they're complicit. It is treasonous. And he knows he is com- uh, causing harm to the American mm-hmm. people. So it's uh, it's right. an astounding thing. I, I, I can't thank you enough for your, your research on this and for your reporting thank on you. this. I want to steer people to your website and to your social media at Daily Clout, Daily Clout. Dr. Naomi Wolf, and I want you to get the book, The Bodies of Others, The New Authoritarians, COVID-19, and The War Against the Human. This is extraordinary, and Dr. Wolf, thank you so much for telling us all about it. Thank you so much. And before I go, um, please also order the Pfizer documents book on Amazon, which has this information in it. Yep, thank you and so that, much and that, for the opportunity. You got it. And, and I'll steer people to your website there. You can, you can click to the Amazon link through dailyclout.io, dailyclout.io, and you can find those Pfizer documents. Thank you, Dr. Wolf, and we'll be right back. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by KeepingMedicareSimple.com and The Floor King. Okay, 1138, Always Right Radio, wrapping it. Got about seven minutes left with you. I uh, want to use some of that to say thank you again to uh, Shannon Burns and the uh, team over at Strongsville GOP. Uh, it was a great night, great night last night. 275 or so people, I'm told, were there at Harvest Saloon last night, and um, we rallied uh, together for local races, local school board candidates, council candidates, and others, and, of course, uh, pushing for justice in a a nation, I should say, that apparently has lost its way when it comes to justice. So appreciate Shannon. Also want to point you to another great local event, the Lakewood West Park Conservatives tonight in partnership with the RPCC. Uh, they're hosting an event tonight, uh, June, well, this is Groom 15th, obviously, uh, 6.30 at the Calvin Center Hall at the Hungarian Reformed Church on Puritus. State Representative Brian Stewart will be there, and our friend Kate Macra, Executive Director of Cleveland Right to Life, will be there for a, a massive event. Uh, um, and very important rally and support and a discussion and support of issue one on the uh, ballot in August. We were talking last night in uh, Strongsville about the fact that not enough people even know. Early voting is less than a month away, and not enough people know about the August 8th special election. The turnout is expected to be very, very low, but I promise you, in-state and out-of-state forces are doing and using everything they can to crank out turnout for the pro-abortionists and the anti-children, anti-parent uh, let, uh, uh, ballot initiative that's coming in uh, in November. They're going to come hard on August 8th uh, to make sure that that, ball- or that uh, threshold stays at 50% plus one so they can come out even harder in um uh, in November and pass that horrific ballot initiative. We have to match their, their p- passion, their fire, their energy with ours. We've got to crank it up. 
the messaging is not getting out to enough people that we have to get out there and vote yes on August 8th on Issue 1 to pass that uh, uh, threshold increase to 60% for the Ohio Constitution, to protect our Constitution. It's literally what it is. So there's a big discussion about that tonight. It's going to be held, like I said, uh, from the Lakewood uh, West Park Conservative, 630 at the Calvin Center Hall at the Hungarian Reformed Church on Puritus in Cleveland. Kate Macra, Right to Life, and uh, State Representative Stewart will be on hand. Uh, Joanne is calling us from Twinsburg. Joanne, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Fire away. You know, I want to talk about these 20 Republicans who voted against this censure. I know Gingrich said he thinks it's about the money. Frankly, what is the only way to punish Adam Schiff? I mean, if not financially. I mean, otherwise, he walks away unscathed. Other, the other thing I want to know is I saw Mike Turner. I saw Warren Davidson. I heard Dave Joyce. I can't find him on the list. I can't either. His name was given to me just literally as we discussed that last night um, in Strongsville. Uh, you know, somebody I'm, told me Dave Joyce is one of them. I do, I, do not see his, I do not see his name there. These guys need to be primaried. Have you invited any of them on to explain what they did? No, I mean, not at yet. least for uh, this, this, back this in the day would answer your questions. Whether yeah, he was this right literally or wrong. just happened last night. Um, we intend okay. to contact both Mike Turner and Warren Davidson uh, because their names are on the list of twenty. And as for the for the for the money, you know, here's the thing that's probably going on, Joanne. And I thank you for the phone call. They're probably looking at this and saying a censure is one thing. $16 million fine is another thing, and if we do it to shift, we set the precedent. That any time the other side wants to censure us for something that isn't even nearly uh, as dangerous or as um, as egregious as what Adam Schiff did, they're going to come for all of our money. And that's one thing that I think is probably key here. If there had just been a censure short of the fine or or without the fine uh, added on to that, they probably would not have voted no. Uh, but I do intend to ask Warren Davidson and Mike Turner. I promise you that. Yeah, we want to get both of them on the air. Joe and Westlake. Joe, go ahead. Thank you for having on Dr. Naomi Wolf. She made a critical point mm-hmm. with the Pfizer document showing the depopulation. That's got to be the biggest story. How could it not? Uh, please consider having Ed Dowd on. He's got the data showing the depopulation. But here's another point. Naomi Wolf suggested that China was the primary actor behind that. There's an alternative view put forth by Sasha Latipova that the U.S. is actually the primary culprit because the U.S. military ran Operation Warp Speed. She, she showed that extensively in detail, and there may be a, another option, which is that China and the U.S. were working together. Bottom line, how on What would Earth, be, just for the sake of the discussion, Joe, what, did, did, uh, who did you say it was who put forth that idea that it was the U.S.? Sasha Latipova. How how did that person uh, um, uh, speak to the motive? We can understand the Chinese motive to to weaken and depopulate North America and Western Europe certainly is in their interest, but why would we have an interest, our government, our military have an interest in doing that to ourselves? Sasha is a drug expert, and she has uh, stayed, mostly stayed away from the potential motive. She she showed that this happened through through evidence, through regulatory evidence, uh, the one to talk to about the motive is Edward Dowd. He points out the motive is primarily economic. It's a preparation to transfer power and money during an economic downturn, which has been known to have been happening since 2019. 
Okay. Joe, I appreciate that. Thanks very much for the uh, for the tip on that. I always need to ask motive whenever we have uh, things like this that are, you know, suggested that might be possible because, of course, it is so outlandish to even think about. There has to be a motive. So uh, we'll, we'll investigate that. All right. Thank you for the call. Uh, thanks to everybody for the call. Thanks to our guests today. We had Dr. Everett Piper. We had uh, Newt Gingrich. And we had Dr. Naomi Wolf. Thanks to our team, Johnny and Mary and Marcy. And thanks to you. Be well, be safe, stay free. See you tomorrow. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.